Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. How are we, man? This is a pretty good group for time change and first week in a spring break. Good job. You, uh, you passed the test of being all in. Now, for those of you who missed us, I don't know what that says about you. Um, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. We're going to be all in. I'm, I'm teasing, but it's good to see you. I'm so thankful that you're here. It's a great morning to worship, great morning to, to celebrate what God is doing in, in, in our lives and in our church. So thank you for being here. Last week, you may recall, uh, we talked about kind of the climax of our story in Nehemiah. Um, as we've seen that they accomplished the wall. Man, that's a huge feat. What a big, big milestone in the people of Israel. So they've accomplished the wall in just 52 days, just under six months from the time that Nehemiah was called to leave uh, Persia to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And then there was a shift, if you remember right, there was a major shift that took place where we, we moved away from talking about the spiritual walls or the spiritual structure, and now we're focusing on the spiritual structure of our hearts. That's really the focus. That's the shift in focus that we go from the physical structure to the spiritual structure. Now, last week, we talked about the foundation of that. You remember that? What was it? Somebody help me. The word. Yes, we talked about the word. I saw you holding it up. That's great. We talked about the centrality of the word. And what was important about that? It's that the word has to be central to everything that we do, everything that we say, the way we think, everything about our lives, God's word must be central to that. It's the foundation of our spiritual lives. Now, here's the deal. This weekend, here's what we're talking about today. You ready? This weekend, we're going to seek to answer the question, how can we be all in with God? How can we be all in with God? And so if you have a Bible, I hope you do. Go ahead and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to be in chapter 9 this morning. Now I'm going to go ahead and warn you, we got a lot of reading to do. I can't preach a sermon on the centrality of God's word last week and then get up here and just talk the whole time. So we're going to have to, we're going to, have to dive into the word. So you're going to be reading a lot this morning, so, so bear with me. Nehemiah chapter 9. Now, there's three things, three steps that I think that Nehemiah, this chapter, chapter 9 specifically, helps us see how can we be all in with God. And here's the first one. The first one is this. We need to know God. If you want to be all in with God, then you need to know him. Now, many of us in the room are going, well, that's simplistic. Well, yes, it's as simple as that. Right? Any relationship in your life begins with getting to know someone, Right? You learn their likes, you learn their dislikes, you learn their character. You try to answer the question, is this person compatible with me? Well, in the same way, when we come to a relationship with God, we need to know him. We need to know his likes. We need to know his dislikes. We need to understand his character. And so thankfully, what you're going to find as we work through this chapter this morning is Nehemiah is going to answer that question, who is God? 
You're going to see Old Testament history as God has brought them out of Egypt and, and on into the promised land. You're going to get to see a sequence of events, and you're going to be able to see who God is, who his character is. And that's what I want us to see this morning, beginning in verse 6. Beginning in verse 6 of chapter 9, read along with me. I want you to take note of the word you. Nehemiah uses the personal pronoun you over 20 times in this chapter, and it signifies his character, who he is, and what he is doing in the people of God. So verse 6, here we go. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all of their hosts. Nehemiah says that the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you, God, preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of earth, the Chaldeans. And you gave him the name Abraham. You, God, found his heart faithful before you. And you made with him the covenant to give his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Verse 9. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. And you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all of his servants and all of the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. And you came down on Mount Sinai and you spoke with them from heaven and you gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath. And you commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land and you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers, they acted presumptuously and they stiffened their neck and they did not obey your commandments they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and they appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But note this, here's God's grace. But you, but you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you did not forsake them even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and, and even when they said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. But you and your great mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor did the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and you gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you, O Lord, gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner so that they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, 
in the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and to possess. And so the descendants went in, and they possessed the land, and you subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and their peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already honed, vineyards, olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. And so note this, so they ate and they were filled and they became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. So again, what you see here in this text in verses 16 and on is that that, that Nehemiah uses the personal pronoun you over 20 times, 20 times to show us the, the picture of God, the character of God, what he likes, what he dislikes, how he handles and deals with his people. What you see in this passage is you see that this is the God of the world. He's the creator and the sustainer of all that there is. He is a God who knows his people, who calls his people, He's the God who provides and protects for his people. He is the God who hears and knows. He's the God who is not indifferent to his people's cry, but rather he enters into their turmoil, enters into their distress. He is the God who is faithful to provide miracle after miracle after miracle. He is the God that is faithful to them even in their greatest times and of their worst times. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of forgiveness. He's the God of grace, even when his people abandon him and make a golden calf and say, this is our God who has brought us out of the wilderness. He never leaves them. He never forsakes them. He is the God who goes before his people. He's the God who prepares the way. He's the God who hems them in behind and before. He's the God who never leaves them, nor does he forsake them. He is also the God who gives his people over to their sin. And yet, at the same time, he is the same God who never gives up, never loses hope, and never walks away from his people. Man, this is the God of the Bible. This is the God in whom you and I have the opportunity to worship. This is the God who never leaves us, never does he forsake us. It's the God who hears us. It's the God who is not indifferent to our disposition or indifferent to what's going on in our life, but he knows us intimately. This is the God of the Bible. And so if you wanna be all in with God, you've gotta know him. You've gotta know who he is. And the first place to start, as we talked about last week, is right here. This Bible tells you who he is, his likes, his dislikes, his character. If you wanna be all in, you've got to know him. But then secondly, we need to understand ourselves. If we're gonna be all in with God, we've gotta know him, but then secondly, we need to know ourselves. And verse 26 gives us a real life picture of the human nature, of human nature. Verse 26, the text says this, look with me. So in light of God's grace, in light of who he is, verse 26 says, nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, they were disobedient. They rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and they killed your prophets, the very prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. 
And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But, but after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and they cried to you, you heard them from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn back to your law. Yet, hear this, they acted presumptuously, and they did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn, a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey Many years you bore with them and you warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of their lands. Listen, y'all, if we want to be all in with God, we need to know him. We need to understand ourselves. And in this text, we learn that despite of God's grace and mercy, like Israel, we are stubborn. <laughs> Aren't we stubborn? We are arrogant. We are ignorant to the things of God, and ultimately, we are a disobedient people. It's easy to cast stones at Israel when we're reading the story of their ignorance and of their stubborn hearts and their stiff-necked nature. But in reality, we share that very same nature. We share the same nature, and what we learn is that rather than following God like Israel, we would rather go our own way, wouldn't we? I think if we were honest this morning, I think we could all say, you know what, I just think I know a little bit better. Don't you, right? I mean, think about it with your kiddos, right? How many of you growing up thought, oh, my dad, he just, he just doesn't know, right? Why? Because we thought we knew better, right? And yet at the same time, deep within all of us is this tendency to think, well, maybe I just know a little bit better than God, well, sure, well, let's build a golden calf if we can't see God. Uh, well, let's just build a golden calf because we know better, right? At the, the deep problem that you and I face, as a matter of fact, the predicament of the world is found in this, that rather than following God, we have chosen to go our own way. And everyone, including me, wants to know why in the world are we where we are in the world? And the answer is simple, simply this. It's the fact that we have chosen to go our own way. See, the God of the universe, he created everything on this earth, both creature and things that are created on this earth, all to live in perfect harmony with him, to walk in the garden alongside of him. As a matter of fact, he created man for us to walk alongside of God in perfect relationship with him, to rule over the land, to have dominion over the land, to represent God on this earth. But instead, we've chosen to go our own way. We've chosen to go on our own way. And because of that, we now experience the brokenness and the pain and the suffering and the war and the disease. And we could go on and on and on and on. In fact, Nehemiah, he describes the result of this decision in verse 36. You might look there. The text says, Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you have given to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. Because we have chosen to go our own way, we are slaves. Verse 37, and its rich yield goes to the kings in whom you have set over us because of our sin. 
They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. See, if it weren't for our decision to go our own way, we should be living in complete dominion over, over the earth and ruling in partnership with God and freedom. But instead, we find ourselves this morning enslaved. Enslaved to our passions, enslaved to our desires, and ultimately enslaved to our sin. See, this is what Paul was talking about when he wrote in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. I'll read this for you. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And so they are without an excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal man for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And hear this, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, what Paul is describing here is that on the other side of the fall, rather than reflecting God, we chose to rival him. So rather than reflecting God, representing him on this earth, we chose to rival him. And then the result of this, Paul would later write, is eternal separation from God. See, apart from Christ this morning, we are eternally separated from Christ. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We are eternally separated from Christ. And this is the fundamental problem of humankind. It's the fundamental problem for man is that we are eternally separated from our creator. And yet, and yet I want you to know this morning that God's grace abounds. In order to be all in with God, we've got to know God, we've got to know ourselves. But thirdly, we must understand and respond to God's grace. This morning, you and I have to understand and respond to God's grace. See, despite man's rebellion, Nehemiah writes in verse 31, he says, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them, nor did you forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. See, the greatest act in all of human history is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He says, For while we were still weak, the greatest act in human history, for while you and I in this room were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But hear this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You have to know this morning that this is not at your best. 
right? It's, it's not when, when you were doing your best at work or at home and your moral life. It, it, it has nothing to do with that. As a matter of fact, it was at your worst. What Ephesians chapter 2 says that when you were dead, when you had no spiritual value at all, Christ came to you, he saw you, and he called you to himself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died, he went to the cross, he lived the perfect life that you and I could never live, we could never hope to live. He died the death that you and I deserved. He went up on the cross and he bore the wrath of sin and shame on the cross for you and for me. He took on our sin and he was, it was nailed to the cross. He was buried in a grave and three days later he arose again so that we could sing the song, when death was arrested, my life began. This morning, Christ went to the cross for you and for me. He bore your wrath, he bore my wrath that I deserved so that you and I could be made new and that you could have a reconciled relationship with Jesus. Man, that is the good news. That is the heart of the gospel. And it is the most beautiful, beautiful thing on this earth. And so like any healthy relationship, to be all in with God means that we need to walk with him we need to communicate with him. We need to enjoy him. We need to laugh with him. We need to cry with him. We need to lean on him. We need to work alongside of him. It is to choose to do life with God in everything that we do. And I want to share with you this morning a little bit of how that changes. When you're all in with God, here's what your life looks like. You'll see it in verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. Look there with me. When you're all in with God, here's what your life looks like. The text says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel, they were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all of the foreigners and they stood and they confessed their sins and their iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and they worshiped the Lord their God. See, this is what happens when we're all in with God. Our life begins to change, doesn't it? As a matter of, think, a matter of fact, I think there's at least four ways that your life is gonna change when you're all in with God. The first one is this. We begin to prioritize God in all of our life. He's no longer a, 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 a byword to our life, but rather he is our life. He becomes a priority in all of our life. Life no longer is about us, but it is about reflecting God rather than rivaling him in everything we do, in every decision that we make at home, uh, at work, in our extracurricular activities, the way that we do household chores, right? The way that we handle our finances, God becomes the center of it all. When you're all in with God, he becomes the center of your life. Number two, when we're all in with God, we desire him more than anything else on this earth. We desire more of God and less of us. Nehemiah, he talks about fasting, right? Anytime in a Baptist church you start talking about fasting, everybody kind of, kind of. But here's the deal. You know what fasting is at its most basic level? You know what fasting is? It's simply telling God, hey, you know what? I want you more than anything else on the face of this earth. I want you, God, more than I want food. I want you, God, more than I want this relationship. I want you, God, more than I want social media. I want you more than anything else on this earth. When we choose to fast, 
We are simply coming to God and saying, God, I want more of you and less of whatever it is that is binding my heart. I want more of you, God. When you're all in with God, you're gonna want more of him. You're gonna desire more of him. Number three, when we're all in with God, here's what happens. We find ourselves regularly confessing our sin. We live a life of regular confessing, identifying sin, confessing our sin. We understand that it is our sin that separates us from God. Right Now, you need to understand, right, that, that when you accept Christ, you have been made right by him, okay? But in your relationship with him, there is a difference between a right relationship and a fellowship with him. See, your sin does not separate you from him. Once Christ has made you right, you are right. But our sin will separate our fellowship with him. Just like in marriage, right? Uh, I am declared married to my wife, but there are some things that I can do that is gonna separate my fellowship with Jordan. And in the same way, when we're regularly confessing and identifying our sin, here's what we're doing. We're removing that separation and we're saying, hey God, I'm here, I want all of you, and I want you to have all of me. And so it's a restored fellowship with him. Number four, number four, we desire holiness more than worldliness. When we're all in with God, we desire holiness more than worldliness. The people, in this text, it says that the people separated themselves from the foreigners in the land. Why is that? Because they were set apart, right? Remember Deuteronomy chapter six tells them, or chapter four, I believe it was, uh, told them to separate themselves, to not intermarry with those who were not of the people of God. And so what did they do? They said, okay, we're gonna separate ourselves from the people in the world because we're gonna be different. We're gonna be set apart. And what happens when you're set apart is the things of the world just no longer taste the same. They don't taste the same anymore. All of a sudden, the things of the world kind of become bitter to the taste. The things that once satisfied you no longer satisfy you. You find yourself feeling empty on the inside when you're watching certain things or the way you talk or the way other people talk. All of a sudden, those things that you were normally fine with just don't seem to taste the same. See, that's what happens when you're all in with God. Your life changes. Even Tuesdays change. Now, right? It's not a Monday. It's not a Wednesday. It's not a Friday. It's just everyday life. When you're all in with God, everyday life begins to look a whole lot different. And so this morning, I wanna invite you to be all in with God. So no matter where you are this morning, I wanna invite you into being all in with God. And so here's how I wanna do that. I want everybody in the room, I want us to all bow our heads, I want us to close our eyes as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Bow, Bow your head, close your eyes. So here's the deal, and this morning there are three groups of people in this room. Three groups of people. There are the first group of people in this room who can say without a doubt, yes, I am all in with God. There's just no doubt in my mind. I'm confident of that. I am all in with God. And you know what? Praise God for you. I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your relationship with God. I'm going to continue to pray for you that God would fan that flame. So that's group number one. There's a second group in the room. Now, this group of folks in the room are those who are seeking to be all in with God. Maybe they're interested. Maybe a friend invited them to uh, the church service. 
Maybe you've had somebody sharing the gospel with you, or maybe you're just finding yourself looking for something more out of life, and so you're seeking. And I want you to know that this is right where you belong. God has brought you here for a reason, and I, I, and I don't want to overlook that. God has brought you here to hear the fact that the God of the universe loves you and desires to have a relationship with you, and he has made that possible only through his son, Jesus. Now, there's a third group of people in the room. The third group of folks are, are those who have maybe thought that they're all in with God. Maybe they grew up in church. You know, maybe you know a handful of Bible verses and maybe you can even quote those from memory. But if you were honest, you could say, man, I, but I've just never said yes to him. I, I've never, I've really never committed my life to him. He's always been a part of my life, but he has never been my life. He's never been a priority. He's never been the centerpiece of my life. And I just want you to know this morning, my prayer for you all week has been that you would be able to set pride aside and that you would be able to say, you know what, I wanna be all in with God and, I, and I, don't, I don't really care who knows, I don't really care how long I've been involved in the church, I wanna be all in with God. And so this morning, I hope that you will find this, this day to be the right day for you to say yes to Jesus, to be all in with him. And so if, if you're in those latter two groups, here's what I want you to do, I just want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise your hand, I just wanna see you, I wanna be able to pray for you, I wanna know that that you wanna be all in with God. Praise God, praise God, amen, amen. Well, if that's you, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to just to pray this prayer alongside of me. Here's what you need to say. God, for the first time, I see you. I see your character as we read your text and we learn that you're the God of the universe creator and sustainer of all that there is on this earth, that you have created the world and everything in it to live in perfect harmony with, me, with, you, with you. And God, I want that. I want to be all in with you. I recognize that I am a sinner eternally separated from you and that through Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, you have made a way. And I want that. I want that. I believe that that Jesus came to this earth, he died in my place to save me and to restore me into this right relationship. And so I wanna be all in with you. And then just simply ask him, God, would you do that in my life? Would you do that in my life? And amen. Listen, if you made that decision this morning, man, praise God for that. I mean, that's God's work in your life. That's the Holy Spirit at work in your heart to call you to him. And if that was you, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to stick around after the service. I would love to talk with you. I'm gonna be right here. There's gonna be plenty of folks just through those double doors who would also love to talk about some next steps and what that looks like for you. Listen, today, that is the most important decision that you will ever make to be all in with God. And so, listen, I wanna say thank you for that. I'm excited for all of that. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to close in prayer. And so, again, if everybody would just bow their, bow their head, close their eyes, we're going to close our time together in prayer. I'll invite the worship team to come on up. God, as a church, I can confidently say that, Lord, we want to be all in with you. God, we recognize that we recognize who you are. God, we recognize who we are, that we are stubborn, we're stiff-necked. Oftentimes we can be arrogant and ignorant to what you're doing on this earth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just break through our hard, 
hearts. God, I pray along with the prophets, God, that you would give us a heart of flesh that's soft, filled with your spirit that beats for you and for you alone. God, I pray that you would just call us as a church to be all in with you. God, we cannot move forward with what you have for us, Lord, if, all, if not all of us, if we're not all, all in with you. So Lord, I pray that for us. God, I thank you in this room for the work that you're doing in the individual's hearts that raised their hand. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to, to work in them. God, I pray that you would give them next steps. And I pray for those who can confidently say, I am all in with God. I pray, God, that you would just continue to fan that flame. God, that they would continue to take more and more steps towards you. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.